Hi everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Welcome to Writing Works Wonders. We're so pleased you're with us for this exciting author interview with the author of the Timber Creek K-9 mystery series, none other than Margaret Mitsushima. We're so excited that you're here with us today. This is episode number 98 of Writing Works Wonders. Woot, woot! Writing Works Wonders is a vibrant, interactive community of writers and that are new, experienced, and published. And we also have special episodes dedicated to author interviews that we hope are of great interest to readers also. You can find out more at writingworkswonders.com and you can peruse the vast library of episodes of workshops and author interviews there. So pull your chair closer to your smart speaker and buckle up, Buttercup, to join your friends at Writing Works Wonders. I'm Dr. Kathy King, and I'm so pleased to introduce you to my fabulous co-host, Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Hi, everybody. Hi, Kathy. So glad to be here. I have a fabulous co-host, too, especially because she's also my friend. Let me provide a little bit of background about Margaret. We're so thrilled she's with us today. Well, Margaret thank is you. the Thank you, <laughs> thank Margaret. You. Margaret's the author of the award-winning and internationally published Timber Creek Canine Mystery Series. She's active, very active, within the writing community. Margaret serves as the past president for the Rocky Mountain Chapter of Mystery Writers of America and was elected the 2019 Writer of the Year by the Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers. She is also a member of Northern Colorado Writers, Sisters in Crime, and Women Writing the West. She and her husband recently relocated from their home in Colorado to the Pacific Northwest. We'll learn much more about Margaret during the show today. Take it away, Cheryl. Hi, Margaret. Welcome. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here, and it's so wonderful to meet you all. For all of you who haven't checked out Margaret's website, I encourage you to do so. There's just so much information there, and... The first thing we're going to ask is, what led you to go from speech pathology to writing? How did that all come about? Well, it seems like I always wanted to write. And and I don't, even when I was a speech therapist, I was always looking for things that I could write. Um, I participated in doing a lot of technical writing, like brochures and articles and things like that but I didn't really discover fiction writing until oh probably the late 90s um and I had started a a non-fiction book I was calling it intuitive communication and I was using um various personality typing instruments to talk about how people perceive what they are hearing 
and how they might react. And as we as listeners and speakers might be able to be more intuitive about our communications with each other. So I got one chapter written and then we were away from home. Um, my family was skiing and I had uh, severely broken my arm years before that. And I didn't want to go skiing. So, so I, I just sat down at this laptop that I had just bought. It was a used laptop. I bought it from a CSU student. It was my first, very first laptop. And I started just writing a novel and I loved it so much that I never went back to that nonfiction book. By by the late 90s, um, I had my own speech therapy clinic. We were Medicare and Medicaid certified, and we offered OT, PT, and speech therapy, as well as social work services. And the whole insurance industry was changing quite a bit and no longer covering the therapies. So um, there was a, a person who wanted to get into the workers' comp field and he offered to buy my clinic and I thought, well, I'm just going to take this opportunity to sell it because the way we do things is changing anyway. I went ahead and sold the clinic and then started doing bookkeeping for my husband's veterinary practice. He had never really wanted me to be like his veterinary assistant, even though I assisted him uh, evenings and weekends, just you know, all the time. We both thought it was better for our marriage if we didn't work <laughs> side by side every day. So, um, so anyway, at that point, I started just doing part-time work for his clinic, and I was free to pursue learning the uh, craft of fiction writing. And it it took me a long time, a long time, to put together a novel that that found a publisher. Um, I think it was probably 14 years. I didn't write all of that time because I was my mother's primary caregiver in her late years of her life. Um, but I was doing a lot of writing. I think I finished about five novels. And um, finally, finally, the last one I wrote, it, it's the one that attracted the attention of an agent and a publisher. That's that's great. And that's encouraging for everyone to hear, too, for our authors to to hear our aspiring writers and authors. And so your characters, you have very interesting characters. What do you think are your readers look for? And uh, and what kind of suggestions do you have for authors in writing compelling characters. How did you begin developing these characters? Well, thank you. First of all, I'm glad that you enjoy the characters in the book. I did a lot to get to know my characters before I started book one. And there are, I'll I'll say right now, there are so many ways to develop compelling characters. And no one way is right or wrong. I know people with huge bestsellers who just sit down and start to write and they learn to know their 
characters organically as they write scenes on the page and as their characters react. So I will just talk to you today about how I did it, knowing full well that this might work and it might not work for another writer. So I did a lot of work with uh, Maddie Cobb, the primary protagonist, and Cole Walker. And then, of course, Robo. I consider Robo the German Shepherd partner that's Maddie's partner. Uh, I consider him a character, too, in the books. Mm-hmm. And and I did get to know him more organically, but he certainly was inspired by a lot of dog observation throughout my entire life, <laughs> including mm-hmm. my childhood. Uh, but mm-hmm. anyway, getting back to Maddie and Cole. One thing I did was I filled out um, a character profile. I have an old fiction writing book written by Jack Bickham that gives an example of a character profile, and that's the one I used. And it's just kind of like a job interview. You know, you put in there, well, I guess it's not like a job interview because there's a lot of questions on there mm-hmm. that, that bosses aren't allowed to ask, like how old are you? How much do you <laughs> how tall are you? <laughs> Those kinds of things. Um, but anyway, it's an in-depth profile and it identifies whether or not the person had military history, um, on and on and on. And lots of questions about parents and childhood and Things like that. So I I did that for both Cole and Maddie. And then I did uh, something that's called a character onion that I had learned at a writing workshop that you basically draw three rings and that's your onion. And in the outside layer are things that you could observe about that character in a, in a, say, a cocktail party. And and so you see that character, and and those are the things you might observe across the room. And then the second layer are things that you might get to know about the character if you had a first date. And so that's more like, what do they do? What are their favorite hobbies? Um, What kind of food do they like to eat? Things like that. And then in the very center, um, and I call it the stinky middle sometimes when I'm putting Mm -hmm. together uh, character profile for a villain but in the very middle are the kinds of things that you might know about this person if you had dated long enough and you were getting getting ready to get married and so you you might know more about their flaws what makes them tick what are their dreams what are their hopes what are their goals in life so I did that and then as if that weren't enough I used Deborah Dixon's book, um, Goal, Motivation, and Conflict. It's a wonderful book. It's a simple book where you identify your character's inner goal, motivation, and conflict, and their outer goal, motivation, and conflict, or internal and external and um, I did that for both characters. Um, that goal might change as your character develops and as the story arc uh, continues in your novel. But um, it's a wonderful place to start. And um, so 
that's that's what I did for both characters. And then I went ahead and I used the Enneagram because, like I said before, I'm kind of all about personal personality typing. And the Enneagram is an ancient Sufi method of personal typing. And I assigned each of my protagonists a point on the Enneagram. For example, Maddie is a point one, which is the perfectionist. And Cole is a point eight, which is the boss. And then I went through my Enneagram book and I wrote out about four sheets of paper on each character listing those characteristics that make up that personality type. So by the time I was finished, um, I knew those characters very, very well. And I knew how they were going to react when I put them in a scene. And um, I think it was worth it because the characters are actually what sold my first book. Um, After the publisher's editorial assistant read it, She got back to me and she said, we love your characters. We love your setting. We love your writing, but we don't like your plot. (laughs) So so she said, are you willing to talk to us about this and do a revise and resubmit? Now, you'd think I'd just jump at that, right? But I have Mm -hmm. friends who had done that taken months and months in the revision process and then ultimately been rejected. So I was not really excited about it. I was disappointed, kind of let down. But then I thought, okay, I have nothing to lose. Here is a professional editor who's willing to tell me what's wrong with this book. It won't cost me a dime. And all it's going to cost me is some time. And so I went ahead, revised the book, resubmitted it. She shot me back an email and said, we'll talk to your agent. And it went from there. That's, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and, you know, it, what one person does and how you develop your characters, what you use, not everybody's the same, like you said. And I just, I was I'm mesmerized by just listening to you. <laughs> oh, thank you, <laughs> Kathy. Well, you know who identifies with Margaret's method, don't you, folks? <laughs> that that's hey, me, Margaret. Like Is that right? Okay. Yes, I, I'm a plotter, and I like to sketch everything out and use the character profiles. But I was madly taking notes as you were mentioning different things, um, because some of these I have not exactly heard of, and I will be looking them up. And I really appreciate the lesson you just gave us. As far as I'm concerned, we're done. (laughs) I feel like I went to school today. Me too. (laughs) Thank you. I love talking about characters. And and to be honest, if if there were only one tool I needed to recommend, it would be that Goal, Motivation, and Conflict book by Deborah, D-E-R-A, Dixon, D-I-X-O-N. It, it's oh, okay. a wonderful little book. And while we're spelling things, let's go ahead and spell your last name, Margaret. Okay. It's M I Z U. S-H-I-M-A. And if you break my name into two words, in Japanese, Mizu means water, and Shima means island. 
And so it's so much easier to remember that way, but it's Mizushima. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And her website is margaretmizushima.com. That's right. So that that's what you need to know to be able to find her website. I have thoroughly enjoyed your books. We talked very briefly at the beginning. A couple of folks on the line said they're addictive, and I have to agree. I've I read one last week, and I've read four this week. Um, oh. <laughs> I just I'm falling asleep at one thirty a.m. and the audio is still going, you know, because <laughs> I got, have to hear what's happening next. It really is clear to both of us, Cheryl and I talked about it, that Robo, your canine um, partner for Maddie, is a character in this story. And the way that you flesh out those characters, they continue to develop throughout the story is just phenomenal. Uh, We really appreciate that. But another aspect is the plot development and the way that you intersperse clues in the story is so critical for mystery writers. And we know that you work with mystery writers and you're part of several groups. What recommendations can you give to us and maybe insights to readers as to how, how do mystery writers approach this, the plot development and the interspersing of clues? Some of your books, I catch on what's, who's the likely suspect, but sometimes you catch me flat-footed, girl. You know, I'm I'm just dumbfounded that that's who it is. So you've done your job well. What what can you tell us about that process? Well, um, thank you, first of all, for the compliment. Um, I think that my plots have become more sophisticated as the series, series has gone on. I think my first plot in Killing Trail, book, book one in the series, was pretty simple. One thing that I have learned is don't make your villain so uh, despicable in the beginning that everybody knows immediately who he is. It's so funny because I decided in book five, which is tracking game, that I would make my villain a sympathetic villain. In other words, people would actually feel sorry for this villain at the end of the book um, rather than making it an evil person. And I fell in love with my villain, could not send my villain to jail at the end of the book. (laughs) And I had to start over and rewrite that book with a villain that was still sympathetic, but not one that I I couldn't, you know, couldn't go ahead and capture in the end. <laughs> um, I think it's important, even though I think there'd be a ton of mystery writers who would disagree with this, but I think that it's important to learn to outline early in your career and learn um, where you're going to put in those scenes that drop a clue or that introduce a red herring, somebody that you want to mislead your reader mm-hmm. into thinking, aha, that's the villain, when in fact it's not, it's an innocent person. So I think you need to learn how to do that. Now, I have quit outlining. I I stopped outlining at, okay, first of all, Killing Trail, no outlining whatsoever, took about four years to write. And so many revisions, I I have no idea how many revisions. 
And that was the problem with that book and why it wouldn't sell. And that's why the editor said, we don't like the plot. So she gave me some pointers. I mean, we had one telephone call. She said, this is the kind of structure I'd like you to consider using. And she gave me some pointers about planning clues. And I was off to the races and did the revision on my own. And even though we still had to do revisions that were uh, done during a developmental edit, that plot was much improved for a traditional mystery. Now, if you are writing suspense, you don't have to be this um, careful about planning clues and things like that, because a lot of times the reader knows who the bad guys are in a suspense or a thriller. But in a mystery, you need the, the writer has to withhold that information. So I think you have to learn how to outline, learn how to plant clues throughout the entire mystery, and then learn how to do the great reveal at the end. Um, and, uh, there are lots of wonderful mystery writers out there. You can read their books and see how they do it. Thank you. It is interesting because I'm reading your books so quickly because <laughs> I'm enjoying them so much. You can tell a development in your style and the sophistication of the plot development and all. So it's fun to hear you talk about that. And I hope other readers enjoy hearing you say that as well. Your website mentions your husband's a veterinarian, and I think you mentioned that. It brings up the point that you provide so much detail, but you weave it in seamlessly into the story. The story keeps moving, but you provide great detail about canine training, the work of canines in the police force, the terrain that they're traveling, uh, wildlife, veterinarian work, surgery, on and on and on, so much detail. Can you tell us about your research process, how you keep track of these things and and incorporate it? Is it seamless? Is it purposeful? Is it extensive? Well, I'm very fortunate to have had a life where I could observe a lot of this and and um, my memory's not so great here. At the, I've gotten much older and it's not so great now. But I remember so much of that um, from early in, earlier in my life. My husband and I both uh, did some search and rescue training with two of our dogs. We've always had lots oh. of dogs throughout. And back when I was in my 30s, there was a terrible that happened in our community a child was lost in the mountains and not found until three his clothing was found three years later it was uh, definitely a mountain lion strike up in the mountains it was very very awful um, as people tried to find that child and my husband was like we're gonna make sure a couple of our dogs are search and rescue trained and so we trained with the a county group and I could observe all those dogs and how they reacted to the tracks. And I could see some of them air scenting on the air. Some of them kept their noses to the ground and, and just wanted to track each footstep um, as we were training them. So that was just invaluable experience. And then, like I said, I, I have helped Charlie, my husband, uh, so many times after hours and observed him. One Christmas, 
uh, our daughters and I um, had to go up to the clinic in the afternoon instead of having our Christmas dinner. We did a um, C-section on a um, <laughs> bulldog and uh, he would hand the puppies to me and to our two daughters and we would we would rub rub off the afterbirth and get them breathing and put them in a warm heated box and um all of these experiences are just uh, you know what I'm kind of redoing in my writing now no I've never been a police officer and yet I've had so many wonderful officers and canine handlers offer to let me shadow them and to uh, read my work and tell me what I've done wrong and things like that. So uh, I'm just very, very fortunate and very grateful for the experiences I've had that I've been able to weave into these mysteries. That's terrific. You gave a couple of very different sources of information from life experience to shattering the police officers and then having them serve basically as a beta reader to evaluate your work and make sure that it was on track. So that right. that's very helpful for our readers. Thank you for sharing your experience with us in that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Cheryl, do we want to go to questions? Look at that. You read my mind. We're on the <laughs> same page. Kathy, we'll turn it over to Chanel now. First up is Anthony Corona. Hey, playing double duty. So first, I just want to give you, um, if I were to write a blurb for, you know, the series of books, I would say something to the effect of picture Lillian Jackson Braun's granddaughter changing the love of feline to canine and crafting. I think the books are awesome. But my question to you is, um, especially with mysteries, you have to be kind of targeted to the formula, so to speak. And, you know, if a lot of writers find it hard to determine how much detail to put into a specific scene or a specific, you know, arc of something that's happening. You know, I, I think always use the the same example, like I'll read three pages worth of a description of a living room in an Anne Rice book. And it's like, okay, get to the point. Um, <laughs> even though the story is masterfully, masterfully crafted, how do you determine how much detail to use and what the reader is going to snag on? Oh, uh, very good question. I, I really owe a lot to my first editor. Her name was Nikki Power, and she worked for Crooked Lane Books, and she really helped me with that, often cutting whole paragraphs of description and saying, remember, this is a mystery. It's all about the case not about the environment. <laughs> and, and so I learned how to try to take the most important details, um, weave those in and dump the rest. Um, so sometimes I get carried away when I'm writing a first draft and then I have to go back through and say, okay, what's most important and how does this relate to Maddie or Cole? And then the other thing that I feel like is very important is I want to keep my characters active. And so I like to just throw in a sentence now and then about what's happening in their environment while they move through it. Rather than describing the environment or the terrain, I want to move Maddie through it. And then let her hit the rock or let her find the boulder or have the bullet <laughs> strike the boulder and she has to hide behind it. Things like that. 
So I guess those are are my my two things to kind of keep in mind while weaving in atmosphere. Uh, and yet, I'm I'm just like all readers. Some of my favorite authors write their atmosphere, and they use a lot more description than I do, and I love it. So yeah, I don't want three pages on it, but I do want three paragraphs sometime. Our next question is from Jane Tolino. Hello, Margaret. Hi, Jane. Shima. Hi. Hi. Utterly delighted with your books. And what I want to say to you is that regardless of how little you wrote about intuitive communication in that first book that you set aside, every one of your books from where I sit has been a compelling pulling together of intuitive knowing, and it's so strong. I really have appreciated um, intuitiveness showing up in Maddie Cobb. What a kick-ass girl, you know? I'm going to be her in my next life. (laughs) But I also really commend your inclusion of description, which is not visual. I have found every sense accounted for in your books and that matters that gives the environment to people or to me anyway in a in a whole cloth and I love that I'm glad you've moved to the PNW I grew up in Portland Oregon do you live near Seattle where do you live I actually live on the Olympic Peninsula right Uh, now well it's a very favorite place what an what an environment that is. And I've spent lots of time there. So never mind all that. I just had to know that. I do want to know several of your favorite writers. Who do you love to read? And thank you for the Deborah Dixon recommendation and the Enneagram. I'm headed there when I can make time, but I'm fully engaged in hearing what you have to say. So thank you. Well, thank you, first of all, for all your compliments. I think as a speech therapist, I I had to be intuitive about my listening because many of my clients uh, were unintelligible or they'd had a stroke and they could no longer talk. And so we had to really watch them to see what they were trying to tell us and and figure out, you know, we had to do a lot of deep listening, um, observing body language, too. The the fact that I put in other senses besides vision is is basically because I've taken so many different writing workshops. They are valuable to a, a writer. It teaches us what's important and what's ma- what matters. So thank you. Thank you for um, noticing that. Ellie Griffith is the one that I'm thinking of um, who writes such wonderful atmosphere, and she gives uh, great descriptions. And then I also love to read Margaret Cole and actually her, she has retired, but her books inspired me to write about two characters who were protagonists, a love interest, and both characters had flaws that were kind of keeping them apart. 
Um, so that was my inspiration from her. I like to read J.A. Jantz, especially her Joanna Brady series. She has several series. I have a friend who has debuted. Her name is Kathleen Donnelly, and she is a canine handler. She works in schools uh, detecting narcotics with her rescue dogs that she um, adopts and then has trained. And she has written a canine um, book, and she has one book out called Chasing Justice. I highly recommend it if you like my books. Um, and she is actually one of my consultants and beta readers. And then there is a mystery writer that I really enjoy. His name is Scott Graham. He's from Colorado, and he writes the National Parks Mysteries. So I think there's a handful of writers there that um, I can recommend. Oh, oh, one more. Deborah Crombie. Her books are set in um, England. Um, they're, they're so good. Next up, we have Marlene Massat, and then we will go to Clubhouse. Thank you so much. I just have to gush. I have all your books from Audible. Oh, good. Thank you. (laughs) I'm a mystery writer, too, but I absolutely love the uh, canine series. Um, Please do not forget to mention book eight that's coming out. It says on Audible in March, which is Stand Dead. And I like I'd like to ask, isn't your narrator Nancy Wu your sister-in-law? <laughs> yeah, Nancy Wu is not my sister-in-law, but she oh. is She is my narrator. And uh, we met in Boulder, Colorado. She lived there for a while, and uh, she does a, a good job. Um, and the book eight is Standing Dead, actually. Um, all of my, I'm sorry. Um, no, no problem. All of my book titles have to start with a gerund uh, in case you you haven't noticed that but it's it's uh standing dead we made that decision back with killing trail and so take a look at those titles it's wacky it's hard to come up with them sometimes sometimes it's very easy like standing dead I wanted to write a book about the beetle kill forest where all of those dead trees are still standing in Colorado. And so, of course, there has to be a standing dead man at the beginning of the book as well. That's the case, the case they have to solve. But thank you. It comes out March 7th. It's wonderful. I love hunting hour when Sophie gets kidnapped. I love Cole <laughs> too. And, and Robo, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Marlene. This is Marcia. I'm, I'm hoping you can give us a little um, advice on how you hooked up with your agent. Oh, yes, I'd love to. So, again, I met uh, my agent originally at a writing conference, and um, she, she uh, went ahead and read uh, Killing Trail and uh, signed me up. And uh, started to represent me. Well, unknown to me, she became ill. And there was a transfer. Um, uh, My current agent bought her agency. And my current agent is Terry Wolf of AKA Literary Management. And she lives in Colorado. Terry and I are kindred spirits. And Terry loved the books. So she kept me on in the agency and uh, we were both raised on cattle ranches uh, in Colorado, and we have so much in common, um, and we just really enjoy working with each other. So I'm very lucky there. 
I met uh, the publisher, um, my acquiring editor, Matthew Martz, uh, Crooked Lane Books at a writing conference. Uh, Terry already knew Matt and I was able to meet him uh, the night before uh, the conference started uh, at a dinner and pitched my book and he said, yes, I'll read it. And uh, so Terry sent it to him and um, yeah, we took it from there. I think it's so valuable to attend conferences where you're able to do pitch sessions. Next up is Pierre or iPod Touch, got themselves unmuted, and then we will go to Clubhouse. Yeah, it's uh, my uh, library every now and then will accidentally send me a book I didn't order. Well, one day I got this book in the mail. Uh, I read it and I immediately went to the phone and asked my librarian, are there any more books in that series? That's great. And so I've I've read them all. Uh, You said there was another lady that uh, writes that kind of book. What did you say her name was? Oh, Kathleen Donnelly. She's getting started. There's another lady in um, Colorado who has a four-book series of canine, um, and her name is Barbara Nicholas. And then there's another lady uh, who does really good work. I've never met her, but her name is Alex Kava, K-A-V-A. So uh, good luck in finding more canine mystery writers. Thank you. I love your books. Oh, thanks so much, Pierre. I'm so glad you had a happy accident there and got a book that you didn't order. Thank you. (laughs) Tom Lellis, you may unmute. Good morning, Margaret. When I got the email invitation a few days back uh, from Kathy, I hadn't heard of you or your books. And so I went to Bard and downloaded two or three of them. And my wife and I listened to your first one, Killing Trails. And you're the kind of gal whose books I like to read. Oh, and good. Good. The fact, the fact that you grew up in the outdoors uh, comes through very, very well in your writings. And and I think it's the only books that I've been able to get a hold of, mystery books that insert the canine part of it. And I think that really adds to your books. And so if the rest of your seven, now eight books uh if, if they've got that combination i think they'll all be good and i look forward to reading them now you're i've got a new author and i'll make sure i download and eventually read all of them so thank you oh good thank you tom and yes the series um has the same protagonist and actually the secondary characters detective stella lasasso and and yeah. um and deputy bro chief deputy brody um all of those characters run through the series. And so hopefully you can just really enjoy some more of those books. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'll let, before we go, I'll let you move from Colorado to the Pacific Northwest. And I'm wondering why and where you live in the Pacific Northwest. I was born and raised initially in Seattle and oh, yeah. up in Anacortes and on the Puget Sound. So I'm, I'm anxious to learn. How are you dealing with all the rain versus what you had in Colorado? Oh, well, um, we moved we moved to uh, Washington State to be close to family. Yeah. My husband retired and we closed his vet clinic. They were building a school basically on our front doorstep, even though we had lived in the country for 40 years. Yeah. We knew we were going to move. We didn't know where. We decided to go ahead and, 
and look in Washington. So we decided to look at the rain shadow. As you well know, we are on the Olympic Peninsula and the rain shadow is a part of Washington where the rain dumps in the forests, the Olympic mountains, and then there's a swath of land that is drier. We're loving it. We love the milder climate. Um, our friends back at home are dealing with a foot of snow and, and road closures. And we're, we've got green grass. Uh, today we have the sun shining and it's just beautiful here. Okay. Maria, can I mute? Wait, I just downloaded the, all seven of your books from Bard this morning. So I can't wait to read them because I had finished a series involving a detective and a dog that I loved, which was the Owen McKenna series, M-C-K-E-N-N-A, by Todd Borg. And these are, all the books start with the word Tahoe, because they take place up in Tahoe. And his dog is a Harlequin Great Dane named Spot. His lady friend is not like the old noir type uh, mysteries that had the the beautiful female you know she's not a great beauty and she's a forensic entomologist so it's a really nice group of characters so uh, oh. but that might be another series for people who like uh, plots with dogs oh good thank you thank you thank Mar- you margaret i was wondering you know beginning authors go through so much as they're learning the craft of writing and putting together their ideas you buried five books that you said were practice. What advice would you give to our aspiring and beginning authors that are on the call? I think what was most important for me was attending writing conferences. I was so fortunate to live in Colorado where we had Colorado Gold in the fall of the year and that was sponsored by Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers and then we had the Pikes Peak Writers Conference in Colorado Springs in the spring. You get to meet other writers, I mean sitting in your office or your bedroom or whatever space you've converted so that you can write, it gets lonely Um, but you can meet other writers from those conferences. I met people that I could form critique groups with. That's another, that's point two, I think that you should really consider. Um, I know it's hard to submit your work to a group of people for them to critique it. But unless you do that, you're probably not going to improve very much. I went to a group that, oh boy, did I have to have a thick skin. (laughs) I stayed in that group for about two years because every night that we met together, I learned something. So, um, yes, I think those are the two things that I would encourage writers to do. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And Anthony Corona. I again, um, I, I have to agree with you a thousand percent. I've not really attended writing conferences, which is something that's on my list of, of things to accomplish over the next year or so. But I've worked with a lot of different writing groups. Um, I wrote two romance novels under a pen name and Romance Writers of America and local chapters were amazingly helpful. But I found, um, at least in the romance genre, like you kind of have to go in with a set of expectations and they're, they want to know from, 
from the incoming authors as much as the group itself, like what you're looking for, what your boundaries and expectations are. So how do you set those standards when you're working with a new um, writing group or your beta readers? Oh, I think that's, I think that's interesting. I uh, attended a, a, a critique group that came out of, this was my very first critique group. And it came out of a writing class at Colorado State University. And um, I sat in on one of the sessions one night, and it was not my work being critiqued. It was somebody else's, but it was almost like a pack of wolves were, were uh, jumping onto this man and tearing his work apart. And yeah, I, I resigned. I resigned the next day. I, I thought that's just not, I just can't handle being in that environment, even when it's somebody else under the gun. So several of us resigned from that group the next day. And we decided to write a list of expectations and share it with the people that we invited to join us for a group, a critique group. And, and, you know, part of it was, um, you know, be respectful in your uh, comments, um, um, mix your comments with both positive and uh, uh, compliments on something uh, as well as things that you would like to see improved. Um, do more than just, you know, correct the grammar. You have to have to have something about the content as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was a whole list. Boy, that really, really helped. And then we kind of picked and, and chose the people that we wanted to join us. And we had a great writing group that stayed together for about five years. I just want to say, Cheryl and Kathy, yes. thank you so much for inviting me. I've had a wonderful mm-hmm. time and I really appreciate everybody who's come to visit with me. It has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. The prompt for next time is in a hundred words or less, You've been thinking about a historical character, dreaming about him or her, and you wake up in that character's body. What's your day like? How are you feeling? What do you do? So tell us in 100 words or less what happens next. Kathy? Thank you, Margaret. That was wonderful. Thank you, guys. I had so much fun. We'll be talking again soon. Yes. Thank you. Please visit our website. We're excited that we have more details available for you there in upcoming episodes. Above all else, we want you to be encouraged and inspired and enjoy the wonders of writing. We look forward to being with you next time. Thank you for joining us today on Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. A tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. You can also tap on the link for writingworkswonders.com. It'll take you directly to all the show notes and information that we shared today. Then you can sign up to receive the Zoom link so that you can be live with us when we are recording. You can also contact us at info at writingworkswonders.com. Our phone number is 347-467-0221. We also have a donate button. All donations go to technical expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this podcast going. Kathy and I want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder in writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. 
The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.